Tom Rice. Tom Rice is not exactly a household name. Seventy years ago this week, he was a member of the 101st Airborne that parachuted into France on the D-Day Normandy landings. Tom Rice actually still is living, and this year marked those landings 70 years ago this week by himself parachuting back into France at the age of 93 years old. Let me show you a picture of Tom Rice, the greatest generation, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I want to keep that picture up for just a moment and ask you, what's your excuse? I mean, that is salty, 93 years old. I I was really kind of taking some time this week and thinking about D-Day 70 years ago under the leadership of then-general, soon-to-be president, Dwight D. Eisenhower, and the greatest generation that banded together to fight tyranny and fascism and all of those things that preserve the freedoms we enjoy today. When I saw the story of Tom Rice, I thought, What is it inside of somebody that keeps that fire burning for 93 years? What what is it inside of somebody that keeps them excited to go back and, and to memorialize that with the skydive of his own? 93. That that happened. He did that original jump 70 years ago. How many of us are under the age of 70? Let me just see a show of hands if you are not yet 70. Is that unbelievable? Some of you are lying when you raise your hands. I, like, I respect that. But Tom Rice, 93 years old, there, there's something inside of somebody that causes them to be that faithful, that causes that fire to burn that strongly over that kind of a period of time. And I thought Tom was a perfect introduction as we continue the series, Carry On, because This weekend, in this installment of the series, Carry On, we're going to meet somebody of a similar age who had that kind of fire in the belly, that kind of commitment, that kind of faithfulness over the long haul. And to get there, I think it's important that we understand where this particular person's faithfulness came from. If you've got your outlines or your programs, I want to invite you to take them out for just a second. And as you take them out, You'll notice on the back panel is a, an announcement about our Father's Day celebration next weekend. Now, here's what's really interesting. Mother's Day, for us as a church, we had record crowds of people showing up with mom to go to church. Moms love to go to church on Mother's Day and get the whole family. They kind of guilt the family into going with them and that sort of thing. It's really interesting. Father's Day typically doesn't follow a similar pattern. I don't know what it is. The men in that, like, man, we'll go play golf, I'm going to fish, I'm going to sit here, I'm going to chill out, bring me something to eat. And I get that. But next weekend, I'm telling you, you want to be a part of our Father's Day celebration. We always wrap up the, the incredible just jamboree that is VBS. This year, you can tell it's VBX games for our kids this coming week. But we wrap that up with our Father's Day celebration And you'll notice on the back here, it's going to be strong. 
That's all I can say. That's the only word I can use. And I've already said too much. But you need to be a part of this. As a matter of fact, if you're sitting on the end of your rows, I want you to take a look underneath. You'll notice some little invitation cards. If you're sitting on the end of the row, go ahead and pick those up and just pass them down the row. These are not for you. These are for your friends. These are for your neighbors, the people you work out with. The guy, when you're benching 450 this week at the gym, you've got, when you get it up for that fourth rep, you just turn around and go, here, I want you to come with me. Father's Day next weekend is going to be strong. It's going to be an incredible celebration. Also, here on our West Campus, we're going to have a Power and Pistons motor show. So if you've got a car or a motorcycle or an 18-wheeler or a battleship that you want to show off next week, you need to bring it, be a part of that. You can fill out the card here and hand it to one of our ushers on the way out. We would love to include you in that celebration. Father's Day next weekend is going to be big, especially as we wrap up this series, Carry On. Now, for this week, I want to begin by going to a passage of Scripture that is not in Joshua, where we've been studying Because it's imperative that we understand where this particular character that I'm going to introduce to you in just a second gathered his long-haul consistency, his long-haul faithfulness. And to, to get at this, I just want to make the statement at the very beginning as you are taking notes that it is God's promises that power persistence. It's God's promises that power persistence. You see, a lot of times we think that it's about our own willpower. We think it's about what I bring to the table or my determination or my strength of character. And there's a factor in that that is absolutely true. But if you've been alive for about 45 minutes or so, you know that life will throw at you enough curveballs and enough challenges that will completely deplete your reservoir of power that you inherently carry around inside of you. You will get to the bottom of you. I will get to the bottom of me at some point in this life. And it's at that point that the promises of God power our persistence And to get at this, I want to go to a passage of Scripture that's found in Isaiah chapter 55. If you've got your Bibles, look in Isaiah. He's in the Old Testament, after Psalms and before Nahum. But Isaiah 55, Isaiah was one of the major prophets. And when we say major and minor, we don't mean that God liked the majors better than he liked the minors or that the majors really were good and the minors just barely got in the Bible. What we're saying is that the major prophets, just their books of the Bible are longer than the minor prophets. And Isaiah was one of the primary major prophets of the Old Testament, the old covenant, the old promise of God. And as such, God used him to speak directly to the nation of Israel. And in Isaiah 55, God says something really profound that is important for us to remember, not only in our study for today, but day in and day out. Check this out in Isaiah 55. The Bible says, The rain and snow come down from the heavens, and they stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. Now check this out, verse 11. It is the same with my word. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. Now that is a 
powerful, powerful statement. For God to say that I send out my word like the rain and the snow, and every time that God's word goes out, it never returns fruitless. It never returns empty. God always accomplishes his purposes through his word. And I want to make sure that you understand that's why every single week that we gather together, we go to the Bible. We are a church of the Bible. From Genesis, the very, very beginning, to Revelation, the very end. That is the word of God. And the word of God is alive. It is active. It works in our lives. It always bears fruit. And so the reason I wanted to go to that is so that you and I will spiritually ingest Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. Let me ask you a question. And remember, before you answer this question with a raised hand or not, you're in church. So if you lie at this, you are endangering those who sit around you in case the lightning bolt could damage them as well. So with that little caveat, how many of us worked out this past week at all? Let me just see a show of hands. Impressive. That's awesome. Okay. How many of you worked out really hard? Let me see a show of hands. Okay, there's no way everybody who worked out worked out hard. How, okay, let me ask it a different way. How many of you who worked out just kind of barely worked out? Let me see a show of hands. Come on. Get, you know what? If I work, this is what happened. This is funny. I don't know if you saw this. So I said, how many of you worked out? Everybody did this. How many of you barely worked out? That's okay. Ten minutes of barely is better than zero minutes of nothing. But when you work out, especially when you work out really, really hard and you stress your body and you tax your physical systems, you have to have a physical reservoir. You have to have the energy necessary to complete or to accomplish that workout. That's just kind of a part of it. The same thing is true spiritually. When you are exercising spiritual power, when you are working emotionally and relationally, you have to have a spiritual reserve that you have ingested, that you have metabolized so that you have the energy to persist and to carry on. Isaiah 55 tells us that the Word of God is that spiritual metabolism. The Word of God is what we put into our lives so that we have the energy to work out God's purposes. And God gives it to us for exactly that reason. You see, I get in trouble, you get in trouble when we think this is just a nice book. Tell your neighbor right now, that ain't a nice book. Now come on. This is the 11 o'clock service. Y'all slept in. You've been drinking coffee for hours. You're, you're, you, I mean, you know, 9.30, I would expect that. But I want you to tell them with passion and enthusiasm, that ain't a nice book. Much better. There we go. Okay. I was just checking. This is the Word of God. And as such... It produces fruit. It yields product in our lives. It works. And so that's why we go to this. As a parent, it doesn't matter that I'm a pastor. 
as a parent, I wanted to teach Emily and Joseph, still trying to teach them and reinforce to them, this is how your life works best. How many of you are parents? Let me see a show of hands if you're a mom or a dad. Okay. Do you remember, maybe not the very first time, but around the first time that, that your kids told you a lie? How many of y'all remember that? It's devastating as a parent, isn't it? First of all, you're kind of like, uh, I'm smarter than you are. I know you just lied to me. Come here. You know, that you have that emotion. But then there's also kind of the, the personal part of it. It's like, you, you lied to me. I, I can't, you know, this, this little bundle of joy that God has given to us has a depraved black heart that now will tell lies. And, and as a parent, it's our job. To show our kids that lying is a bad idea. It's a really, really bad idea. And so what it, Julie and I tried to show our kids was and is that relentless honesty just works better than anything else. You, you can tell a lie, but your life's going to get really complicated really, really fast if you're dishonest. You know, and, and, and we went so far as to tell them, say, look, here's the thing. And Julie, I remember Julie telling Emily just when they were little, little kids, if you tell a lie, you will never fall asleep because your conscience will be so uneasy. That's the Holy Spirit. And by the way, mommy and daddy find out everything. <laughs> and so when they were real little, we started telling them, we'll know everything, no matter what. So just tell us the truth. And they were 16 before they figured out that that wasn't necessarily the case. But we had a really good run. <laughs> and, and, I, and I'm kind of teasing, but not really. But I wanted Emily and Joseph to figure out that, for example, honesty is the best answer. When God says, do not bear false witness is one of the Ten Commandments. Yes, it's a commandment, but he gives it to us as an expression of his love. And that's true for every single part of Scripture. That's why the Bible is so phenomenal. That's, that's why we go to it as a church family. And that's why it lies at the root of this message today that God's promises power our persistence. Now, I introduced you to Tom Rice earlier who, at 93 years old, parachuted back into France this week. But today I want to introduce you to a gentleman by the name of Caleb. Caleb, as we find him in Joshua chapter 14, Caleb is 85 years old. He's 85 years old and Caleb's history, Caleb's career with Joshua militarily goes all the way back some 45 years prior. If you'll remember, Joshua assumed the reins of leadership over Israel after Moses was about to die and after Moses had led Israel through 40 years of wilderness wandering. But immediately before that wilderness wandering began, Moses had commissioned 12 spies to go into the promised land and on a, on a mission of reconnaissance to, to check it out and to spy what they were up against as they were about to claim this promise that God had made to them. And it was those 12 spies that set the course for Israel over the next 40 years because 10 of those spies came back and they said, Mo, don't go. It is bad news in the promised land. We went into the land of Anak and the Anakites are massive. They brought this report back to Moses and they said, you know, Shaquille O'Neal, they're bigger than him. 
You know LeBron James? He's a punk. The guys who live in Anak are massive. We were like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Ten of those 12 spies gave this report. And that report and that negativity and that murmuring just, just went all throughout the nation of Israel. But there were two spies. There were two spies who came back and said, we got this. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. The odds are stacked against us. But remember, God said he's on our side. He's made this promise. Let's go. And those two spies were Joshua and our man Caleb. Joshua and Caleb were the only two. Now, I want you to consider that. When you have an opportunity at work, when you have an opportunity maybe as a church, when you have an opportunity as the family, are you going to be like Joshua and Caleb or are you going to be like the ten spies who said, Mo, don't go? When God makes a promise, he powers the persistence necessary to realize that promise. But because all of Israel said, oh, we don't want to go, we're not going to go, God said, you're not ready for the promised land. You're, you're not ready to receive the blessing that I have prepared for you. And so that began 40 years of wandering in the wilderness as God was shaping and molding Israel to prepare them for the blessing he had for them. And during that 40 years, that generation, the Bible says, all passed away while they were in the desert, except, except for Caleb and Joshua. And in Joshua chapter 14, Israel has now begun the conquest of the promised land. They have begun to claim the land that God had promised to Abraham centuries before. They have begun to occupy it, and Joshua assembled a team for the purposes of distributing the land. And they were assigning this tribe to that plot of land, that tribe to this plot of land, on and on and on, when all of a sudden Caleb approaches his old comrade-in-arms, now old men. They had been 40 years old when they had spied out the land 45 years earlier, but now at 85, Caleb comes to Joshua, and he reminds him of what God had promised him through Moses 45 years earlier. Check this out in verse 9. Caleb says to Joshua, So that day Moses solemnly promised me, the land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your grant of land and that of your descendants forever because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. Caleb continues and he says, Now as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise even while Israel wandered in the wilderness. Today I am 85 years old, like Tom Rice. Check this out in verse 11. I love this. I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey, and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. Isn't that a great statement? I love that. Caleb says, look, I'm, I'm older now. I'm 85 years old, but I got old man strength now, baby. I will take you out. He said, the same thing that I could do before, I could do now. What, what is it that, that generates that, that kind of fire in the belly? Here's the principle that I want to make sure we understand that I think is evident in Caleb right here, that consistent character creates confidence. Consistent character creates confidence. Now, it's, it's not cocky. It's not arrogant, but it's, it's, a, it's a confidence because 
of God's character. Remember at the very beginning of the series when, when God said to Joshua, be strong and courageous, and we, we talked about courage. Remember I gave you a working definition of courage, that courage is just mean-spirited tenacity rooted in the character of God. Okay? That's exactly what Caleb is putting on full HD display right here. He's saying, this God made this promise to me 45 years ago, and I am the same now as I was then, and I'm claiming this promise. There's a consistency in his character that creates this, this confidence. A good friend of mine calls it not confidence, but Godfidence. It is to be confident in who God has created you to be, who he is, who his personality is. There's this incredible thing that happens when you connect with God relationally and you begin to discover who you are as you discover who he is. You begin to live in a freedom, in a, in a confidence that you never knew before because you're, you're living out the reason for which you were created. Remember, God says he created us to bear his image. So the closer we represent, the more accurately we represent his image through our lives, the more fully we are completing the task for which we were created. So we, we have this, this confidence that we can walk around in because of who God is, because of what he has called us to, because of his desires and his purposes in our lives. And, and I want to just mention to you two things to do in order to develop that kind of consistent character. Number one, consider, and I mean really and truly consider the consistency of God. Consider the consistency of God. What I'm talking about here is worship is whether it's on Sunday morning as we sing or as we go to God's Word or just as you're driving through your week or maybe in your own time with God early in the morning or late at night with no cell phones, no email, no Instagram, no mama, 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 just you and God to consider His consistency. You know, the book of Hebrews says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. No matter the circumstances that swirl around our lives, he is constant. Like the song that we sang earlier, Oh Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, how great thou art. How great thou art. How consistent thou art. I, I, I would love to be more like that than I am. See, sometimes I wake up on the wrong side of the bed. I waited until Julie was not in here and my wife, until she was not in here in this service because I didn't want to cause her to shout amen. <laughs> but she knows. Some days I, I wake up on the wrong side of the bed. My kids know that, that I can be moody sometimes. I can be inconsistent in discipline as a dad. How many of you are the oldest child in your family of origin that you grew up in? You've got younger brothers or sisters, okay? 
You know what I'm talking about, right? Something, in, something changes as our parents have more kids. You know, it's kind of like, it's like you need to be home at 10 o'clock. That's your curfew if you're the oldest. And by the time number two or three or four comes along, it's like just in the morning at breakfast, let me know you got in okay. That kind of inconsistency sometimes. But God is the perfect heavenly father, is perfectly consistent. Perfectly consistent. And when I worship him as such, when I recognize his constancy and his consistency, then the only response to that is for my life to represent that. And so after I consider the consistency of God, the second thing I do is do the right thing and let the chips fall where they may. Just do the right thing and let the chips fall where they may. Sometimes doing the right thing can be costly. You, you may have a sales manager who tells you, hey, listen, when you're on this sales call, whatever they ask, this software will do it. <laughs> that might have been the laugh of recognition right there. <laughs> Did you, hey, if they want this software to start their car, you tell them it does. And if it doesn't, it's a bug we're working on. <laughs> you have a choice at that point to be a person of consistent character and to do the right thing and let the chips fall where they may. Do the right thing and let the chips fall where they may. Caleb did that. We have nothing but a positive report on the life of Caleb from the scriptural record. All we know from Caleb is that he was faithful from beginning to end. And his faithfulness fed the fire of his consistency over his lifetime. His faithfulness fed the fire of his consistency over a lifetime. Now, I don't know Tom Rice, who parachuted into France this week. But I do know that there is a thread somewhere in his life from June the 6th, 1944 to June the 6th, 2014 that connects somewhere along the way in that consistent character. But the story of Caleb continues. And Caleb does something that, that is a little bit brash, honestly. This was a guy who was not resting on his laurels at 85 years old. He's in this conversation with Joshua, and he reminds Joshua that Moses had promised him that particular plot of land that he had spied out 45 years earlier. Look at what he does in verse 12 and 13. <clears throat> Caleb says, So, give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You'll remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living there in great walled towns. But... If the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land just as the Lord said. So Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave Hebron 
to him as his portion of land. Verse 15 is critical. And the land had rest from war. And the land had rest from war. So Caleb is claiming this promise. He says, you know, now that we're divvying up the land, don't forget what God promised me. And remember that the promises of God, power, persistence. Caleb has held on to this promise for 45 years. How many of you are not yet 45 years old? Let me just see a show of hands. I'm 47. I'm real old. But Caleb held on to this promise longer than you've been alive. You want to talk about consistent character? Caleb held on to this promise, and here he's reminding Joshua of it. And he says, give me the land that God promised. He, he's claiming this, this promise from God. Here's the principle at play. Biblical prosperity produces peace. Biblical prosperity produces peace. The the word peace is very, very important because it's connected to prosperity. And there was a part of me, I hesitated to use the word prosperity because it is a really manipulated, often misused term, particularly in spiritual circles. But to understand biblical prosperity, you have to understand peace or the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom. Say shalom. Shalom is a great word, man. And, it, and it, shalom, you see, when we hear the word peace, we think of flower children and all right, man. You know, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, peace, man. Woodstock, it's cool. But that is a gross misunderstanding of the biblical term shalom. The word shalom means completeness. It means wholeness, W-H-O-L-E-N-E-S-S. This idea of shalom means God's completion upon you, for you. This is biblical prosperity. And it always produces peace. When when the nation of Israel, including Caleb, were claiming God's promises and prosperity, the land had rest from war. Now, you and I live in a day and an age where the vast majority of us do not serve in the military and will never know the fog of war, the chaos of battle. Some do, and to them we owe an indescribable debt. But every single one of us does understand the absence of peace, the absence of shalom in our lives. We all understand what it's like to feel chaotic, to feel stressed, to feel anxious, and to feel somehow removed from biblical shalom. But it is the power of God to bring shalom into our lives. The New Testament calls it the peace that passes understanding. It means you can't describe it. You, you can't, it's just like, blows your mind but you can absolutely experience it. You can absolutely express it and share it wherever you go because it's real. 
and it guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. This, this biblical shalom, this completeness. And it is in that shalom, in that wholeness and completeness that, that we find the power to persist. That we find the power to carry on and to keep going because it is God's promises that power persistence. Real quick, let me go back to Isaiah 55 for just a second. Isaiah 55:11. Remember talking about God's word. He says, "It is the same with my word. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere." I send it. The word of God always, always produces shalom. Always produces fruit. So wherever you feel chaos, wherever you're experiencing unrest, apply the word of God. Do the right thing. And let the chips fall where they may. Watch the shalom of God begin to take root and to grow and to blossom and to produce fruit in your life. The shalom of God, the word of God are always connected. Always And it is the shalom, the word of God, the peace of God that is perfectly expressed in the person of Jesus. Remember Isaiah 55, I will send my word out and it will accomplish all I want to. Now connect Isaiah 55 a few hundred years later to John chapter 1. God says in Isaiah, my word goes out. John 1 tells us that the word became flesh. And he made his dwelling among us. He was was one of us. He was Emmanuel. God with us. And we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of of grace and truth. The Word of God is always full of grace and truth. And Jesus perfectly conveys the grace and truth of God. Jesus perfectly conveys the grace and the truth of God. Jesus is about relationship. Some here in this room know what I'm talking about. You experience it. Not perfectly. We don't ring the bell every day. A lot of times we miss the bell. But there are others here today who maybe thought that the Jesus thing was about going to church or about being baptized when you were uh, an infant 
or being a good guy or a good girl. And, and, and all of those things are fine as far as they go. But they do not go the distance. None of those things by themselves bridges the gap that's created by our sin. Jesus and Jesus alone bridges that gap. Jesus and Jesus alone is God with us, inviting us and engaging with us in relationship. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, I want to ask you just to consider that fact. The fact that Jesus is about relationship. That he's not about religion, rules and regulations, or being a good guy. But he's about relationship. And if you're here today and you've never stepped into that relationship personally and definitively, once and for all, then we'd love to give you the opportunity to do that. To just begin right now to pray right where you are. A prayer of beginning. A prayer of relationship. To just silently respond to his grace initiative by just praying in your own words, just right where you're sitting, just talk to God silently. Just say something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I recognize that you died on the cross for me. And I choose to believe that you rose again for me. so I confess my sin to you. I claim your forgiveness. And Jesus, in exchange for your life, I give you mine once and for all. With every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment, I want to just take a second. For those of you who just prayed that prayer, I want to make sure that you understand this is the most important moment of your life. This is the moment upon which God will build every other moment in partnership with you, in relationship with you. And so if that was your prayer and you meant it for the first time, no doubt about it, for sure, for certain. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just another moment, I want to ask you, if you will, just raise your hand. If you will, just raise it and hold it up for just a moment because it's important for you in this new faith journey that you recognize this moment as real. That you mark it and say, you know what? On Sunday, June the 8th, 2014, I responded to that grace initiative and it was real. And God did that in my life. 
and that you mark that. And it's important that you know too, the Bible says that all of heaven celebrates when one person, if one person comes to faith in Christ, all of heaven celebrates that. And so for us as a church family, we have no greater privilege, no greater priority. And so we like to join with heaven. As you put your hands down, we like to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. To tell you, that's why we do what we do.